0: He has been for a long time in and around Ototahi, here in our place, in our city. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you are now using him, uh, not only around Aotearoa, but now over in the UK as well. Lord, we, we just are so honored and blessed to have him here with us this morning. Lord, as he leads and speaks to us this morning, we pray you administer through him to us the word that you would have for us this day. Give us open minds, open hearts. Grace us to be able to receive uh, the the word that you would have for us may our souls be good soil where the seed of your word can be planted take root and grow up to produce a kingdom harvest in Jesus name we all said together amen amen Thanks, thank you friend. Steve good morning it's um it's really good to be here as I said I remember meeting this young guy at McCafe Rickerton many years ago I was like, I've come to Christchurch with this dream to plant a church and we're like good on you, and um, hearing it was going to be a Wesleyan church, uh, just like, man, that would be so good to have a strong uh, Wesleyan presence in Christchurch, and just to see how it's gone, how you've flourished after 10 years, but just think, oh, this is just such a great church, such a significant part of the whole church mix in New Zealand, so we really champion um, uh, the flourishing of this church going forward. But um, today, I, I, I want to talk about this a concept of pursue the flourishing of this city and this land and uh as Clint said they're doing a brief series about politics and the kingdom of God we were pastors in Christchurch for nine years which mean we were probably leading a church through three elections uh and and to be honest each time the election was coming I thought man it would be really good to do a series like that and each time I I chickened out I bailed out like I don't. I don't think we're ready. I don't think that we're mature enough as a community to be able to even kind of discuss this. I feel like it will blow up. Um, I'm not sure if we could have a civil discourse around this kind of thing. And um, so, uh, good on you, Clint. You're a braver man than I was. Um, but. But I think since even since we were pastors I think it's got a lot harder you know culturally it's got worse we live in a world of social media algorithms that push us towards more extreme views that create these echo chambers of of kind of extreme views that never meet we we demonize each other. It's not just we differ. It's like, no, you're evil in that view. Um, we, li- we actually live in alternative reality. Sometimes when I torment myself, I flick back and forth between CNN and Fox News and think, these are like parallel universes. Like, there's not even any common stories. Like, this is crazy. Uh, and, and there's this loss of the center just to be able to have some civil discourse like, hey, this is my view. This is what I think is important. What do you think? And we just really struggled to do that. And I think COVID was a great test case of how not to do this. So uh, in our church movement, we all had this little saying, let's not do permanent damage to long term relationships over a temporary issue. But we did because we, we kind of couldn't hold together that people might have some different views. Or different, different priorities, or different convictions. Uh, the one comforting thing in this is that it seems the church has actually always struggled to learn how to do this. So I was at um, Hope Presbyterian a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, and they got me to speak about this passage, Acts chapter fifteen, which is the first big debate in the early church. And it's fascinating the language. That there were people, this was about salvation, but the principle applies to any kind of discussion. You know, unless you do this, you cannot be saved. You're not a real Christian. There's sharp disputes going on and so down a few more verses later talks about how people are, are, are is there one before five and six said that they stood up and and they said the gentiles must be circumcised does this i'm sure this would never happen in the world but people going you cannot be a christian and vote for them you must vote for this and people standing up in sharp disputes that never happens here look you're too, too nice but that's good but um but I love that conclusion in verse six. It just says, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. And it just says, after much discussion. And uh, jokingly said, Clint, next week we'll tell you who to vote for. No, he won't, that's is only a joke. But, but today, I, I'm not, I just wanna talk about how do we even discuss these things? How do we consider these things? Like Take a step back. What's the kind of foundational ideas to even have a discussion and, and to think through as a community what this would mean. And I just want to talk about three kind of foundations for this. The first one is this. We need an ability and a commitment to being a diverse but harmonious community of people with different convictions. Like, if this is going to work, the person sitting next to you may well be voting for a different party in a few weeks. And we need to be able to kind of handle that in a gracious way. But secondly, we need... A particular posture towards this whole thing, which Rich really, really says this, and I'll explain it a bit later. It's like I'm passionately concerned for the future of my city and my nation, and, and that means I'm going to be engaged in this process. But I can't kind of give myself completely to any one party or any one system, because as a Christian, my primary identity is not oh, I'm a staunch Labour or I'm a staunch Green or I'm a staunch. It's a I'm a part of the people of God. I'm part of the people of God. Uh, but, then, but then if I'm gonna be engaged, I engage at some level without a total kind of selling my soul to it, if you like. Uh, anyway, I'll explain that a bit later. So we need this ability to be a diverse but harmonious community. We need a particular posture that says, man, I, I'm present but in a, and concerned and involved, but without, I don't really give myself completely to anyone." party in this and thirdly that all of that is informed by a biblical vision for the future i have a sense of what god is wanting to do in our world and certain parts of those are really important to me and because of that i have a conviction and i choose to add my weight to the to the party the group that seems to be moving that particular part forward that i have a conviction about is that okay so that's so that's i just want to explore that so first of all this We need a commitment to being a diverse but harmonious community. So one of the approaches that many churches did over COVID was kind of like, whoa, whoa, hold on, time out, time out. We need to back up and kind of go, hey, there are issues that we are going to disagree on. This is one of those. Let's think about that, that there might not be a case of the right or wrong, or there might not be this is the Christian view, but there might be, how do we be a community where people have some different convictions? And there's a particular section in the Bible that deals with that. It's found in Romans 14 and 15. So Paul, after 13 chapters of this is the view of salvation, then just, he has this great verse, except uh, verse number one. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling this over disputable matters. Guess what? There's going to be matters that we disagree on. There's got to be matters which aren't pivotal to faith. And how do we be a community when there are matters that we could end up quarreling about? And it's like, we're not going to find a a unity because we all agree. We're going to find a unity in the midst of this. Other translations talk about differences of opinion, decisions of scruples. Don't criticize them for having beliefs that are different from yours. In theology, this is called adiaphora, which means matters that Christians differ on. Hello, we have some different ideas on this. And it's like, how do we handle that as a community? And, and, I, and I think the election is one such issue. And Paul has some really interesting advice. Just four points he makes. Verse 5 is this, if we've got that. Each of you should be fully convinced. It's like, just because there's different views, he's like, no, it's really important that you come to your own conviction, that you weigh up some things and you come to your own conviction. But then number two, he says, don't judge others who have different convictions. Verse 10, why do you judge your brother and sister? Verse 13, stop passing judgment on one another like, how could you vote for them? How could you do that? That's not Christian. No, no, you come to your own convictions, just chill out a bit with other people's convictions. And and, and then his third point is accept each other. It's found at 15 verse seven. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Maybe Christ accepted you with a bit of quirkiness and odd ideas that you have. Maybe you could extend the same grace to some other people in your world who are a bit quirky or have or have different convictions to you. But I, his conclusion for me is staggering in this. It's found in verse, chapter 14, verse 22. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Like, just be quiet. Stop trying to feel this compulsion to convince everyone else that you're right and they're wrong. It's a funny mix, eh? Like, develop your own convictions but don't try and put them on everyone else who by the same process has come to some different convictions because, hello, there are disputable matters that Christians can have different views on. And, and one of the concepts or one of the lessons of COVID, we're not very good at being a community like that. We tend to divide over these kind of things. And a key concept in our church that we came to is this concept of harmony. Romans 12:16 says this, uh, live in harmony with one another uh, the, it's an interesting musical metaphor of a chord that may have different notes but they kind of flow together what that what that means is harmony isn't we all sound the same note harmony may be you're particularly passionate about this note in the kingdom of God someone else is passionate about this note Someone, but they all kind of flow together and, and, and our goal is harmony, not unit, not uniformity. Uh, this word particularly is found in Second Corinthians 6.15, which is the Greek word behind it is where we get the word symphony. Maybe our unity is more designed to be a symphony of harmonious sounds than just one clarion call of this is the Christian view on these things. Maybe some of us are more passionate about social justice, others more about individual liberty, others about the environment, others around us welfare safety net, others around individual responsibility. To stand, it's like maybe those all exist or could exist in harmony together, rather than being quarrelling over disputable matters. Uh, and and so. Again, by our temperament, by our background, we have different passions and convictions. Justice, freedom, liberty, environment. And maybe it's like, maybe I have a conviction, but other people have convictions that are also congruent with God's plan and God's kingdom. Maybe it's not right and wrong. Maybe it's just different. That, so, but, so that's the first point. Could we have the ability to be a community of diverse views who exist in harmony together. That, for me, raises the question, but what are we agreed on? And I want to talk about an idea that kind of could be quite shocking for you. It's a bit shocking for me. Clint asked me to preach on this topic, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, read First Peter, and I read it. And so he, he has a particular perspective on how to think about this whole thing, which is quite kind of shocking or maybe disturbing at the start so he picks up a, basically what I want to say we need a posture that says I really care about my land and its people but I'm gonna have to live that out in a system that I don't totally believe in I can't totally give myself to it I'm not a diet in the wool national or labor or green or or whatever I'm I'm a person of the people of God who lives this out in some in some part of that. So um, he picks up a theme, a common thought in the New Testament that is an Old Testament theme. And as I said, it's found particularly in 1 Peter. Uh, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says this, one of the earliest Christian documents reflecting on the problem of the relation of Christian to the state is the first letter of Peter. And it's surprising as a prominent person we often don't we don't read a lot of it first and second peter we go here's a significant early church leader it's like he's got a particular view on this let me show you four verses in his this brief book of five chapters that show the kind of posture the frame how he's thinking about this and i hope you i hope you find it challenging because i find it challenging so this is his introduction first peter 1 1 peter an apostle of jesus christ to god's elect exiles scattered throughout these provinces um okay chapter 1 verse 17 because you call on a father who judge each judges each person's work impartially live out your time here as foreigners here in reverent fear chapter 2 verse 11 dear friends i urge you as foreigners and exiles he's saying I want you to think of yourself as, as an, an another identity, as a people of God living this life out in a system that you don't totally belong to. And, and then the final one, and I'll explain that in a minute, the final one is in chapter 5, verse 13, the conclusion, which he writes in his own hand, the rest is dictated, and he just says this, she who is in Babylon Chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. He's not in Babylon, he's in Rome. But if you know the Old Testament, there was a time when the people of God lived in exile in Babylon. And he's saying, really, Christians, this is a helpful way to think about how we're doing life. We're like the people of God living in a system that we don't totally belong in. But we're called to work through that system for the good of the people there. But we can never kind of hand on heart, died in the wool, go, I'm, I'm part of this. And he's like, welcome to the tension of Christian living. I, I, I can't just pull out and ignore it, but I can't give myself totally to it. I'm kind of like, I'm part of the people of God, but we're here for the flourishing and the blessing of our city. Um, words like sojourner one who comes from a foreign country to reside there he actually uses the word stranger greek xenos from which we get xenos xenophobia the sense of an out i'm an outsider of the system but i called to plug in and do the best i can in the system So, what a strange way to do life um talk about the sojourner is distinguished from the foreigner in general because he's one who has settled in who's established him or herself in this place and um and it's like man my whole framework i'm not first or foremost a national voter labor voter green voter whatever i'm part of the people of god but i'm called to participate in this so where am i going to tick in a couple of weeks and it's like man this is this is part of it so let me just say there's a really unhelpful way to think about this so some people traditional christians is like oh oh let me show you a verse hebrews 11 talks about um uh, these people were living by faith when they died they did not receive the things promised they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance this admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth so there's this idea oh the world is not my home Home is heaven, and and I'm just waiting to go there. I want to suggest that's not what this means. Is that right? It's not what, let me show you why you shouldn't just read it like that. And one of the keys is a long time before there was the experience of Babylon, there was the father of faith, Abraham. And listen to what Abraham says in Genesis 23. Abraham was promised an inheritance of a land, but his whole life, this is what he says, verse 4. I am a foreigner and a stranger. I don't currently have this inheritance. It doesn't mean I'm waiting to go somewhere else. It means I'm, I don't currently exercise, participate in my inheritance, but I'm here, but I live in this strange relationship with this place. I'm, I'm not a foreigner to the land. I'm a foreigner to the system that's here. Have I lost you all on that? Um, let me give you the simple version Matthew 5 5. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. We're not waiting to disappear from this place. Doesn't matter, it's all going to burn, forget it. No, no, this place matters. But the system here, we're not part of it. And so again, Peter's opposite to that is found in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation god 's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Scott McKnight again says, Peter has raided the Old Testament for vocabulary about the people of god it 's like, man, this is who I am. we are the people of God, but then the opposite area. If one thing is too much identified the opposite area it is go oh it doesn't matter because it's all going to burn and we're all going to go and and um and that's our problem because for some of us a bit older the reason why the world is in such a mess is because we believed that in the 70s and 80s hey we're going to get raptured out we're going to leave this place the worse it gets hallelujah it just shows jesus is coming back and it's like no we were called to be salt and light we were called to make a difference and so there's this tension there and and it's embodied in a really famous passage if i've lost on all of this just focus on this jeremiah 29 the letter that jeremiah sends to the exiles people living in exile in babylon build houses settle down plant gardens eat what they produce marry have sons and daughters he's like Be fully present there. But then verse 7, if you only remember one thing from today, this verse. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. There it is. You don't totally belong in the system, but, but pursue the flourishing of this place. Seek it. Go after it. Desire it. But through a system that you're not totally comfortable with and you never totally get along. I love if you just pause to look at some of those words. Seek, it means to try to get, to reach something one desires, to pursue, to go after. No, it's not enough to say, oh, it doesn't matter. No, we want to see this nation flourish. We want to see the people of this nation flourish. We're desperate to see that happen. But we're gonna have to do that through a system that we don't totally give our total 100% belief to. But seek what? In, he, in NIV, it's seek the peace and prosperity. In Hebrew, it's one word, seek the shalom. Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, doesn't mean just the absence of conflict. It means the presence of wholeness. Other translations, seek the well-being. Seek the seek the state of welfare, ESV. Seek the welfare of the city. Prosperity has a few allusions to tele-evangelists. So globally, people often like the, the language seek the flourishing man I want our city to flourish I want our nation to flourish I want the children of our nation to flourish I want the businesses to flourish I want different ethnicities to flourish I want this place to flourish and it's like that's the passion for this thing and so again it's like man I this is the passion and, and And we're going to have different convictions about how to do that, how to engage with the system to do that, but which leads me to my third point. So the first point is we're going to have to learn how to be a, a harmonious community of different views. Okay? We're going to have to adopt this posture that actually that exiles who pray for the welfare of the city I've, I'm concerned for this place, but I can't give myself completely to any of the ideas of what's gonna fix it. Which leads to this third thing. Um Bob, oh, can I drop the kind of nuclear bomb point in there? Um The word antichrist in the Bible doesn't mean against, it means in the place of. We don't believe there's other Messiahs coming that are going to solve everything. There might be good people of integrity, but we don't give ourselves to any particular cause or idea that like, this is the answer. No, no, we we cr- critically engage with, because they carry some part of our conviction of what the solution is. But, but there's this kind of distance. But let me go. The third point is this. If we're a community that can debate Hold different views in harmony if we're a community that has this posture of being exiles seeking the welfare of the city how is that informed and I want to suggest it's informed by a biblical vision for the future so we lived in Christchurch after the earthquakes and part of the whole government kind of pc thing was oh you've got to do consultation with stakeholders and all this kind of stuff so there was a moment when the um, civil engineering department I think approached a significant pastor in the city and said has the church got anything to say about the rebuilding of the city i remember like yes um ah uh, yeah i think we do and it was like yeah do we and so to go back to the bible and go are there some things as christians we say we believe that this is important for our city and our nation and and we one of the places you can go is the prophets have a vision of The future of the kind of cities the kind of nations God is wanting to bring and 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 yeah it's not going to happen now but Jesus taught us to pray ask that his kingdom would come now seek his kingdom it's like yeah it's never going to happen this side of the return of Jesus but I want to somehow drag as much of God's future into my present as I can I want to give my life to seeing as much of his kingdom break into my world as I can. So we may never see the fullness of it, but this is the picture. And, and I just want to share with you some of these pictures of the future because I want to suggest to you that different elements of these will tap into different core convictions for different people here. And you're like, that re- that's the part that resonates with me. And that's going to lead to my conviction, bottom line, about how I vote, because they're not the perfect, they haven't got the answer, but I feel like they're going to further this part of what I believe is important. So let me go through quickly some of these pictures of what the prophets saw as what God was wanting to bring. So, a couple of passages Isaiah 65 just says this Be glad and rejoice what I'll create, for I'll create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Cities can be dark places, oppressive places. In the kingdom of God, cities are places of celebration and joy. They're like a London in the Olympics, uh, an Auckland in the middle of a rugby world cup or a women's football world cup. It's like, man, we want our cities to be places of celebration and joy and light. Um, Verse 20, never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years there's health and safety for the vulnerable particularly at both ends of the spectrum a city where God's will is being done children are cared for and the elderly are cared for and it's like that's a city where God's will is being done verse 21 they will build houses and dwell in them they'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit in God's city people own their own houses the houses are warm and safe and dry people aren't getting preventable diseases kids aren't getting preventable diseases because they're living in damp houses and, and they're not living in emergency accommodation and motels um and it's like no no in God's city housing is important food is important there's not children going to school hungry food is affordable food is healthy food is sustainable this is all part of this vision um Uh, verse 23 they will not labor in vain nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune they will be a people blessed there is a prosperity there's a blessing but particularly the second line nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune there's not intergenerational poverty they're not children being born that you go they have no hope because they're never going to break out of the cycle in God's kingdom people don't suffer intergenerational poverty and intergenerational trauma and it's like, man, that's part of what we want. Uh, uh, and then the final verses of the chapter, uh, if you go on to the next one, the wolf and the lamb will feed together, the lion will eat straw like the ox. Down the bottom, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. There's an absence of violence, domestic violence, criminal violence. There's an absence of crime. It's like, that's part of the vision of God's kingdom. It's like, this is an incredible vision of what God is wanting to bring. Uh uh, another passage is found in um Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. There's a vision of neighborhood community. There's a vision that old people don't die alone in single units and, and are found later. Children aren't isolated, people aren't isolated. After the earthquakes, the government said, hey, we can't check on everyone. Check up on your neighbors, especially the elderly. It's like, that's a kingdom vision for the city and the nation where there's genuine community and belonging again. Um, Go to the book of Revelation, which again is the picture of the final arrival of God's plan. But again, our mandate is pray for this to come. Seek that this breaks into our world now. Here's some things. Um, sometimes there are things in our world that don't naturally go together, but in God's kingdom they do. And this wealth, splendor, and purity come together. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. We could have flourishing, um, prospering environments, but there's still a purity to the city. It's not, it's not degraded by it. Uh, another translation of the next one, Revelation, that same verse. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought to it. Nations in Greek is ethne. It's not political states, it's ethnic groups. In God's kingdom, ethnic diversity, cultural diversity is celebrated. The best of the cultures are brought into this place and celebrated and honored. That's a kingdom vision for our city. Uh, Revelation 22 goes on to say this. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal. There's clean water. The environment's not polluted and degraded. Uh, flowing, and and there's, on the side of the river, there's trees and crops. It's like the natural environment is flourishing as well. And it's like, this, this is an incredible picture. And just you think it's all social gospel and things. Uh, the final one down here is... No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. Yeah, in God's city, eventually, people acknowledge God and they acknowledge Jesus. And when you put that all together, it's like, here's a biblical view, if you can flick up the next one, of, of God's will being done. It's like, yeah, there's knowledge of God, acknowledgement of Jesus. There's prosperity with businesses succeeding and secure. There's housing for all that's owned and safe there's food for all, there's care for the vulnerable, children and elderly, there's safety, no violence, there's celebration and creativity and arts, there's joy and peace, there's neighborhood community, there's ethnic diversity integrated and celebrated, and the natural environment incorporated in rivers and gardens. And you could go, that's all in La La Land fantasy. I want to say, that's our mandate to pray, that as much of that could become our reality as we could see in our time and so it's like as we go into this it's like man some or let me summarize it this is what i think we're called to be passionately pursuing the flourishing of this land and these people but we do that with a within a political system that i can never fully give everything i am to uh because i believe there's only one messiah and he's already come but, but I think we have a I think some part of that will resonate with you as a core like this is really important to me and as you ponder on that you'll develop convictions about then this is why I'm voting this way because they're not the answer to everything I don't agree with every policy I'm not saying but like I feel like they champion something that I think is really important to the kingdom of God but at the same time I realize that we are the people of God and different parts of that will resonate with different people which will lead to different convictions about what they should do but that could together there be a symphony a harmonious symphony of people who are championing different parts of the vision of the kingdom of God and wouldn't that be great if we could be a church like that On disputable matters, we share a common posture towards the system. We share a common vision, but out of that, we develop different convictions about what we should do. Here's the key question. What of that is important to you? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this beautiful church, this wonderful community, the journey that they're on. Thank you for wise and safe, good leadership here. Could you, could you, God, raise up something that just has a wow factor of a community that's able to be harmonious, a harmonious symphony of the cause of your kingdom for the flourishing of Aotearoa New Zealand and the people of this land? God, could you give us grace and wisdom to be that kind of people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.